Hey, my name is Blake Davis and I'm the pastor here. I want to thank you so much for tuning in to the Firm Foundation Church podcast. Our desire every single week is that you are challenged and encouraged in your faith. Enjoy the message. Just to add to what Firm has already said today, uh, I we've been here a short time and in my short time I've heard Pastor Blake say a few times that to be faithful to the one that God puts in front of you. And Pastor Blake and I have gotten a chance to have coffee and donuts and lunch and breakfast a couple of times. And, and to be honest, I was even gotten to a point where I'm like, Pastor Blake, why are you being so nice to me? Like, I'm in transition. We're kind of like one foot in. We're kind of one foot out. We're trying to get somewhere else. And I remember you said, well, God called me to be faithful to the one that's in front of me. And you don't just preach that to your people. You live that out, and I'm evidence of that today. So just thank you, and I want to add uh, to that. And that's my son, if you guys couldn't hear him. About four years ago, my family and I, we were on our way to what we hoped was going to be to China. And so we were putting everything that we could in trying to figure out how to condense our lives into like a couple of suitcases. And so we went on this minimalist journey trying to figure out what to do. Like we binge watch. Marie Kondo, like we're on Netflix, we're, we're reading all the blogs. And I would say today that we are somewhat minimalist. We've learned to like a little. We've learned how to declutter, to condense. And yet, you know what's amazing is how many times we go through the spring cleaning, the decluttering process, like the Marie Kondo kicks. And every single time we go through that process, you know what we find? More clutter, more stuff. And we're like, how in the world did we get here? Well, following Jesus is pretty similar because even though we're shedding old stuff, we're in the process of getting rid of a lot of old stuff. Somehow as we journey through life, we're still accumulating new stuff, new spiritual clutter. Now, even though I would describe myself as a minimalist or at least aspiring to be one, I collect books. Not like e-reader books, like some of you who like can read on your tablets, your iPhones, tangible, hard, smell good, like in your hand, feel good books. Like that's the kind of books that I like. Now, I don't just collect books that I read. You can ask my wife. I have books that I haven't read and I have books I have no intention of reading, but I still like to collect books. But here's the problem. We've moved like eight times in the 11 years that we've been married. And so every time we move, you know what's the most painful thing? It's all of Mike's books. Like half of the U-Haul is boxes of books. It's the heaviest thing to move. It's the most cumbersome thing to move. It takes up the most room. And I would say this, that following Jesus is also a lot like this. We have a hard time letting go of things that maybe aren't bad, but deep down we know we don't actually need them and they're taking up space in our soul and we'd probably be better without them. Hebrews 12 describes it like this. We accumulate sins and weights. Sins are sometimes a little bit more obvious, but weights take some discernment. They take some nuance. They take some processing through. And so it's in this spirit today, we're going to be looking through uh, the next step in our series of baggage. We're going to be looking at control. 
Now, let me just say this, a couple of disclaimers. Number one, this isn't a linear process. It's really part of a redemptive cycle that we go through. There's normally not a one kind of moment fix all when we're processing through and and emptying kind of the suitcases, the baggage of our soul. Usually it's a process in the same way that we accumulate often in a process, decluttering also happens in a process. And the second kind of disclaimer before we jump in is everything about Jesus's kingdom is often counterintuitive. It's a kingdom unlike ours that operates with rules and ways unlike ours. And so I want us to enter into this discussion, this conversation today with humility and openness. As I shared a couple of uh, weeks ago, that uh, Pastor Blake gave me just a few minutes to kind of share the endeavor that we're on. We made a, a pretty big transition this March. A few years ago, in early 2020, we joined a missions network, a missions agency, and we were on our way to the campuses of China. But because, as you know, there are other things that happened in 2020, that missions agency unfortunately dissolved and we never got to go. So in the interim period, we took a role uh, at a church in Kalamazoo as a pastor, and a lot of great things were happening. We had uh, a lot of friends. There was a, a thriving young adult kind of campus ministry, a good social circle, decent paycheck. I, would, I was able to walk, or I like to rollerblade to work, which always got a few looks. But anyways, so we had this thing in our heart, this missions kind of heartbeat, this impulse that we just, we just had to do it. And so in the spring of this year, we felt like God was saying, now is the time, step out in faith. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to resign from your position. I want you to sell your house and I want you to get ready. And so we stepped out in faith. We resigned. We said a lot of heartfelt goodbyes. We transitioned. We sold our house and we've waited. We've prayed. We've waited. We've prayed. We've waited. And I want, to re- I want to rewind to October 3rd of this month. October 3rd, 2023. Pastor Blake had already asked me to teach in this series. I had a totally different topic in mind. 2020, or October 3rd, 2023, I was sitting on the edge of a bed that isn't mine in the third house that we've lived in since April. And Lee and I were talking and I said, babe, I'm, I'm losing faith. I feel like I've done everything that I know to do and I'm completely out of answers. I am beyond myself. And as I kind of cracked open that door to really begin to articulate the stuff that had been welling up inside for a while, I blurted out and I said this, I feel completely out of control. Shortly after that, it was my daughter, my 10-year-old daughter, Della's her bedtime and we have our little routine and so we sat down, we opened the the Bible app, and we're going through the life of Jesus. And don't you just love it? I intended to disciple my daughter, and the Lord's like, let's disciple you right now, Mike. And so we open it up, and it's this biblical narrative, which we're going to look at. And as I'm reading the narrative, the Lord speaks to me, and he says, son, this is your baggage. Your baggage is control. And I have to believe with the weightiness that Control isn't just my baggage. I would beg to, or I would assume that if we would kind of all crack open the suitcases, the weights, you would find in yours control. Now, shame and guilt, if, if I kind of visualize, I'm a visual person, so when I visualize 
some of the weights that we carry, like shame and guilt and regret, I often envision that like, it's like a photo album of all of our worst moments. And, and we know that it's baggage. We know that it's weighty, but we just can't stop looking at it, right? Like it's there. But control is, is interesting because control presents itself as like the well-dressed, sophisticated version of our baggage. It's like, well, this baggage, this suitcase is actually kind of useful, right? Like it's got my spreadsheets. It's got my budget. It's got my life, like five-year plan in here. It's like an Armani leather briefcase. Like it looks really good. And culture around us actually affirms like, hey, this is really good. You're like, you're take charge. You're responsible. You're assertive. Like we have language in our culture that actually applauds control. It's how we really ultimately fulfill this American dream. The most difficult thing about of all about control is control even knows a few good Bible verses, right? It'll quote Proverbs and talk about wisdom, which is true, but it'll often take those verses and apply it where it doesn't belong. But I want to assure you, control is baggage because control uses a completely different grid in life than the Holy Spirit does in order to make decisions. Control will confuse living free, which is our pursuit, and living without risk as the same thing. And most deceptively, because control is so tied to our culture as Westerners, as Americans, because control is so tied to our identity and our soul, when inevitably we do lose control in this thing that we have called life, it'll often feel like we're losing ourselves. And if we can be honest, it can feel like we're losing God in the process. So what I want to do is rather than doing a wide kind of uh, broad study on control and looking at a bunch of verses, I actually want to dive into one narrative, one story in scripture. And I want to pull out what I believe was a transformative experience for Jesus's 12 followers his disciples, and really has been a transformative experience for me, and I pray it will be a transformative experience for us. So before we do that, you can turn your Bibles. We're going to be kind of jumping back and forth between John chapter 6 and Mark chapter 6, so you can put your finger in two places if you want. And as you're turning there, I want to give us a little bit of context. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a timeline. Before we get to John chapter 6, this moment, this story we're going to look at, here's a couple of things that happened. Number one, the disciples had just gotten back from a, what we'll call like a short-term mission trip. But this isn't the standard short-term mission trip, like where you go for two weeks and you get to come back to like the American airport and eat Chick-fil-A when you're done. And you're like, man, I'm glad that's over. Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take, I want you to go and I want you to preach the kingdom. I want you to heal people, cast out demons, raise the dead, preach repentance. The kingdom is coming. And I want you to take uh, no money. And I want you to take any food. And I don't want you to take any extra clothes and stay where you can and go. You know, like, like it's this crazy wild adventure that Jesus sends his disciples on. And so they go and they come back and they're like buzzing. They're excited, but they're exhausted. But the second thing happens right before this moment is John the Baptist is beheaded. So John the Baptist is Jesus's cousin, earthly, right? 
So number one, this is family that just passed away. He's also Jesus's forerunner. He's like the prophetic voice that is making a way for Jesus to come. And John, who we're looking at, that was his previous mentor. So you have a couple of things happening. The disciples are arriving to this, this location. They're both exhausted and they're grieving. So I want you to have that in your mind. And so Jesus says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to a desert place. We're going to go to a quiet place. And we're going to just rest and reflect. The disciples are like, that sounds great. So they go. But when they show up, there are 5,000 people waiting for them. Have you ever been exhausted? And like, this happens at times, like I'll be exhausted and I'm an extrovert. And I'm like, I come home and there's somebody at my house, like having coffee with my wife. And I'm like, oh, so glad you're here. You know, like, I guess I got to turn it back on, you know? And so, but like, imagine you're exhausted. You just like went on a mission trip. You're ready to debrief with Jesus. You're also grieving and you're processing. And then there's 5,000 people waiting for you. And Jesus says, you know what? And the response is like, hey, we should probably send him home now. Like it's getting late. And Jesus says, well, why don't you figure out how to feed him? And he does a miracle. You guys know the story, right? Some loaves and some fish. And then all of a sudden, 5,000 men. So more than really 5,000 people, they're miraculously fed. But what, what was a miracle for the masses meant actually labor for the disciples. Because the way that the miracle works is there's 12 baskets. And so the disciples like get the baskets and then go feed people. And then like they come back and like, it's like, they're like literally distributing the food. So you're exhausted. Your mentor just died. You don't have time to grieve because while on vacation, Jesus is making you eat last, serve first and take care of thousands of people you had no intention of taking care of. And here's Mark 6.45. I don't know if I gave you this verse or not. If not, I did. Great. Okay. Mark 6.45. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. So it's late. It's dark. They're exhausted. He says, hey, I need you to get in the boat. and I need you to row to the other side. Alone, it's dark after a very long day that Jesus... just made longer. And he says, I want you to go to the other side. Here's what, here's what I want to I want to pull before we dive into this narrative first. To release control, to go beyond control is to go beyond our comfort. I shared at the beginning to go beyond the weighty baggage of control is often counterintuitive. So make no mistake, Jesus is kind. He is near He is present, he is understanding, he is gentle, he is compassionate. But often the allure of comfort and the allure of control are completely integrated with one another. So sometimes to get beyond control in our life, to unpack it, is actually to go beyond the comfort. It's it's to actually like get in the boat at, you know, 2 a.m., when you're tired, when you're exhausted, when you've already been serving all day, when you're like, Jesus, I'm kind of maxed out right now. I've already done a ton for you. Like, what is happening? And Jesus is like, I get it. Get in the boat. To get beyond control is actually to get beyond this this allure, this draw, this, this need to be comfortable. I want to keep reading in the, the story. Let's look at verses 
18 and 19. So a high wind arose, and the sea began to churn. After they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. I want to I pause there. So they get in the boat. Jesus says, hey, get in the boat. Start rowing. It's already well beyond their comfort zone, right? They're already like, this is not how this trip was supposed to go. And then when they get in the boat, what happens? A high wind rises up. The sea begins to churn. And literally, Scripture says, I want to actually look at Mark 6, 48, his account of this. You want to go one more verse for me? It says, well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. When he saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them, very early in the morning, he came toward them, walking on the sea, and wanted to pass by. So the disciples are rowing. They're literally stuck going nowhere because we're rowing, but the wind is against us. How many times have you felt that way in your life? You're like, man, I'm like doing the thing Jesus asked, but I'm not getting anywhere. Like I have zero traction, Jesus. I'm doing what you said, but I'm not getting anywhere. And then here's what's crazy enough. This is not what happens. Jesus is on the mountain praying and he looks and he sees his disciples struggling. He's like, oh my gosh, my disciples, hang on. Like I'm coming for you. He literally walks on the water and they're like struggling. And it's difficult. And Jesus, you know what scripture says? He totally intended on like passing right by. Like, would you look at that? They are really struggling. Well, see on the other side. Like literally Jesus is planning on, even those disciples are like maxed out struggling. Jesus plans on walking right by. Here's the second thing I want to point out as we're unpacking this baggage of control. To go beyond control is to go beyond our capabilities. So one-third of the people in that boat, Andrew, Peter, James, and John, one-third of those disciples that we know of, at least, are experienced fishermen. So they, like, they know this lake like the back of their hand. They're, they're not... This isn't like new to them. And they're literally at the point where even as experienced fishermen, even as people who have done this before, who have weathered storms, who have been here, they are literally completely beyond themselves. Like this was not a small storm. This was something that was so beyond their abilities. They're literally stuck in the water and they're fearing for their lives. At their very best, their strength, their willpower, their gifting, their determination was not enough. They were no match for the wind. The paradox that often offends our very soul is that to follow Jesus is to come to the very end of what we think we have to offer him, and we find that it's largely insufficient. To unpack your suitcase of control You have to begin to unpack that unique tether to comfort. We have to unpack that that tie, that link to our own capabilities and what we think we can control with our own strength and our own willpower and our own focus and our own determination and our own grit. And last, I want to look at kind of how this 
begins to conclude. Mark 19, or 619. If you guys can throw that up on the screen, I'm going to turn to it here in my Bible. It's not on there. Okay, it's awesome. Mark 6, 19. That's totally my fault. John 6, 19. John 6 says, after they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid. Mark describes this account as them literally fearing as if they had seen a ghost. So this isn't necessarily like a supernatural, like, oh my gosh, this is scary, like spooky. This is them like, hey, the American equivalent of seeing the Grim Reaper. Like we have reached the end. The sea has taken us. There's nowhere left to go. We are beyond our strength. We're beyond what we can. This is the end for us. So this is the point for the experienced fishermen where they are completely beyond their courage. This is where they've reached They've exhausted all that is within themselves. And so the third thing as we're unpacking control, to go beyond control is to go beyond our courage. Now, I want, I want to ask a couple of question, questions. Watching the disciples and Jesus in this account, it creates some questions and it creates a tension. And I believe if we'll stay in the tension, it's here that we'll find the beauty. And I say to all of us this morning, if you'll stay in the tension with Jesus, it's there that you will also find the beauty. So the first question I want us to, to dialogue about this morning is number one, why would Jesus do this? Like it seems kind of out of character for Jesus. The guy who heals, the guy that we know can literally like calm the ocean or calm the sea in a moment. The guy who can raise the dead, he, he commands his disciples to get in a boat when they're already tired. And, and then when he sees that, like they're way beyond themselves when they're struggling, he just intends to just walk right by them. Like, why would Jesus do this? A second kind of question I want us to explore is why did John record this? So something that's interesting about the book of John is John records seven miracles. He's picky because seven is a biblical number of completion. It's important. So John gives seven out of the dozens or hundreds of miracles that Jesus did, and he picks seven of them. All the other six of the miracles that John uh, explains in his gospel are these big public demonstrations of like, look at Jesus, the Messiah. But this one's personal for John. This one this one happens when only the 12 know about it. But before we answer those questions, I want to ask you this. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt like, Jesus, I did what you asked. I went where you said. I said what you wanted. And everything just got harder. Or have you ever been in a moment where you said, following you, has taken me too far, and it's taken me beyond where I thought I would go? Or have you ever felt like in your head that what Jesus is asking you is far beyond your comfort, 
your capability, perhaps your courage, and ultimately, then it's beyond your control. To find yourself in a position that is beyond these things, beyond comfort, beyond your capability, beyond your courage, beyond all of these things, beyond your control, it's a strange, vulnerable place to be. And so really perhaps the best question that I should or we should all ask is why in the world would we want to pursue a lifestyle that is that? If I'm telling you this morning that this is what it's look, this is what it looks like to unpack this baggage, and I'm I'm trying to convince you that in order to live free and travel light, you have to do some pretty counterintuitive things. You have to go beyond your your comfort. You have to go beyond your capabilities. You have to go beyond your courage. And I'm convincing you or trying to this morning that it's actually better. Why in the world would we actually pursue a lifestyle like this after we just read a narrative like that? And it all comes down to verse 20. John 6, verse 20. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Jesus approaches the boat. And he doesn't give an explanation. He doesn't apologize like, hey, guys, I'm really sorry I'm late to this. He doesn't unpack. He doesn't even explain it like, hey, this is actually good for you. I want you to row against the wind. I have it. Like he doesn't do anything. He doesn't explain. He doesn't apologize. He doesn't justify. Here's what Jesus does. He reveals himself. He reveals himself. He starts with two words, it's me. In Greek, it's the words ego, everyone say ego, and Amy, everyone say Amy. Great. He says, it's me. The reason this is so important is, is in the, the Greek, this construct, it's, it's like a play on words. There's, there's two things happening there. Number one is he's saying, guys, it's, it's me. It's your friend, Jesus. It's the one that you have history with. We have history together. You've seen me do miracles, right? Like you've seen me before. You know who I am. And that's why control is so damaging. It's because we have a friend that we have really deep history with. And his name is Jesus. And he wants to reveal himself in the situations that we're often fighting for control of. And Jesus wants to manifest himself as the one that we have a story with and a life with and a history with. And he wants to remind us that he's been there through all of it. And he's going to be there in the middle of it. And he's going to see us through to the other side. Right? It's the revelation of Jesus as friend, as the one who is near. And secondly, when they heard Ego Amy, when they, well, they heard it in Aramaic, but they, they, they knew what this meant. In the Old Testament, when Moses was like, hey, you know, God's speaking to Moses and he's like, hey, I'm, I'm sending you to free the Israelites. And he's like, well, who do I say? And he says, say, I am that I am. This is that same Greek translation of that word. He's saying, hey, don't just like, yeah, I'm your, I'm your friend and I want you to remember me, Jesus, but don't forget who I am. It's me. I am that I am. I'm walking on the water to you. Here's what's crazy, Mark 6, 52. I don't think I have this verse up there. 
but it says they were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. So even though they just saw Jesus feed 5,000 people with a few loaves and, and some fish, they were so extended, so beyond comforts and capability and courage, so beyond themselves that their heart actually grew hard. And the warning is, when we find life so out of control, when we feel so out of control, we can actually begin to produce a, a heart that begins to get hardened, that begins to get numb, and that begins to get cold toward Jesus and his power in our lives. This is why I believe Jesus knew that his disciples' hearts were hardened. That moment where they fed the 5,000, instead of being like, this is amazing, Scripture says their hearts were cold. And so this is why I believe Jesus said, you know what? Why don't you guys get in the boat? Go to the other side. And this is why in the middle of rowing and the wind is blowing against them and they're like, where are you, Jesus? Like, you put us here. Jesus lets them feel the tension. He lets them feel the winds and the waves and the friction of not moving forward. He lets them struggle a little bit because he knew that this was going to be what softened their hearts is when they had a revelation of not just Jesus as friend, but Jesus as Lord. He's not just saying, hey, it's me. He's saying like, hey, it's me. There is a sufficiency in Jesus that if we can release the baggage of control, our comfort, our capabilities, our courage, we can simply behold Jesus. I'm not promising that if we release control, life necessarily feels a lot better. But actually, it's there you find the freedom. It's there you find the intimacy. It's there you find the the purpose. It's there you find the identity. It's there you find all the things that we fought to main control of. When we actually get beyond it, it's there we actually find it. A few years ago, Leah and I, so about 11 years ago now, 10 years ago, Leah and I, we went on a missions trip to uh, Peru. And because we were poor seminary students, we bought like a, a suitcase at Walmart. And when we packed everything in there, when we got to Peru, like it had exploded everywhere. All the fabric had ripped. Like it just was, it was a mess. And so luckily there were some really kind gentlemen at the airport that only charged like 200 American dollars and they like saran wrapped it for us. And so, so that way we could like contain everything in. And so whether or not you find yourself there this morning, life has a tendency when we're looking at the baggage of control to find itself just kind of exploding out. Right, like that's where we find the disciples. Like at this point, we had this nice and tidy and neat, but like life has its way and it just kind of exploded this. But here's the beautiful thing resolution doesn't come for more results. Resolution when we lose control comes from deeper revelation of Jesus. The miracle came not because of their courage. The miracle didn't come because they were really strong and really capable and good fishermen. The miracle did not come because of their competency. The miracle came when Jesus entered the boat with them. 
Mark says the wind ceased. John says that there was some sort of like miraculous transportation and they ended up on the shore. And Matthew says that Peter actually came out and walked on the water with him. Right, when, when we actually get a revelation and we see Jesus again, fresh with new eyes, that is the reward. That is the surpassing worth. That is everything that we have looked for. And so here's what I want to do is we're, we're going to begin to kind of conclude. And I want to, I want to conclude just with a few statements about these beyond me situations that we find ourselves in. Jesus puts us in beyond me situations, number one, because it's never been about me. The difficult thing about control is it's inherently about self. But to release control is to find ourselves in a much bigger, a much more beautiful, and a much more fantastic story than you and I could ever write. It's about the God-man Jesus who has a redemption plan for all of mankind, and he is inviting you to play an extremely important role in that story. And it's one we have an important part in. We have an invitation into this story. But to join it, we have to get beyond ourselves. Jesus puts us in beyond me situations. Because truth be told, it's always been beyond you. Control is a baggage because it's an illusion. Control is baggage because it's deceptive. We need to rewind. This same Sea of Galilee, the same lake that the disciples find themselves in, if you go back to their their origin story with Jesus, one of their kind of Genesis moments when they're following Jesus, do you remember what Jesus says to them? He says, hey, if you follow me, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. So it's in this context The disciples are invited in to be fishers of men. Now think about this. Jesus is saying, I'm going to take a fisher and I'm going to turn you into a fisher of men. It's so far beyond them, but it requires, this is what Jesus offers when we say yes to following him. So truth be told, the reason that we need to get beyond control is because it's always been far beyond our control. Third one, Jesus puts you in beyond me situations because beyond the situation is the significant. This is where we discover the life that we have always been looking for. It's out there. It's just beyond us. It's beyond what we control. It's beyond what we can control with our own competency, with our own courage, with with our own comfort. It's beyond what we can actually maintain within ourselves is actually all the significant life we've been looking for. If you look through scripture at every miracle, we first read about a release of control. Releasing control is a response to faith. And God's response to faith is his goodness, his power, and his miraculous ability. Jesus puts us in beyond me situations. Lastly, because this is where we catch a glimpse of Jesus as Lord. This is an invitation today. An invitation to unpack the heavy weights 
that we must wrestle that are countercultural to us as Americans, as Westerners, whose society is built on individualism and control. And Jesus offers a different way, paradoxical way, a counterintuitive way, a different way to release control. So these are some things that I ask of you to consider. I want to ask you where control might be hiding in your soul. Where's like that book that you haven't read that you can absolutely get rid of or like that thing at a garage sale you bought that's like in a junk drawer you know you don't need? Like, like what does it look like for you? Maybe it's big, maybe it's little. Is it in a comfort? Is it in like, man, I, yeah, but I don't really want to give this thing up. I don't want to lose this thing. Is it in a sense of your own capabilities? Like, hey, I, I need to control what I can produce. I need to control what I can do. Is it beyond your own courage? Like, I want to follow Jesus here, but it's absolutely frightening. This doesn't mean that today you have to sell everything, give everything away. It doesn't even mean that Jesus might not even ask you to do anything right now. But it's about a heart posture that says, there's nothing I won't gladly lay at your feet to catch a new revelation of who you are because you are the surpassing great reward, Jesus. You are the hidden treasure. You are the pearl of great price. To know you and to be with you surpasses everything. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to take a, a meditative moment where we allow the Holy Spirit to begin to speak. And I want to end just with not my words. I want to end with some scripture. So let's just all do this. Let's all close our eyes. And we just say, Holy Spirit, come. We want you to reveal to us Lord, we want you to reveal to us where we have control hidden. Lord, well, where is it well-dressed? Where do we find it even at times useful? But Lord, where is it actually baggage that is preventing us from living free, from traveling light? So we're just gonna take a moment and we're gonna allow the Holy Spirit to do what he does. Thanks for tuning in. If what you heard today was inspirational or transformative, tell us about it. We love your feedback. For more information on how you can get connected, check us out at firmfoundation.church.